Hello, and welcome back to the Compass Podcast. Today, we're joined by Dan Hannum, CEO of crypto tax solution, Zen Ledger. Dan digs into everything that miners should know about heading into tax season, such as capital gains and income taxes, deductions, and LLCs. This podcast is presented ad-free by Compass Mining, the largest marketplace for Bitcoin mining. Check out compassmining.io today if you want to buy, sell, or host an ASIC. And now, onto the show. Dan, welcome to the Compass Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us one month out from tax days, like four or three Mondays from now. So not exactly anyone's favorite day of the year, but definitely an important day. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great that Zen Ledger and Compass get to work together on this tax initiative. Uh, we put out a nice article uh, that you guys wrote up for us last week, and that one did really well. Had a lot of customers reach out. And taxes is something that customers reach out about quite a bit. But of course, we're not tax experts. We're mining experts. So we need someone to work with. And that's where Zen Ledger comes in. So it's great to have your guys' expertise. Uh, and for listeners, that's basically what we're going to go through today is Dan's history, Zen Ledger, and then 90% of the podcast, I suppose, is basically taxes. Like, do you have questions about how to uh, go through your taxes for mining, maybe even some trading stuff in there and then getting to the nitty gritty? Because there are some very specific and nuanced parts of mining and taxes that you can get into. Like maybe you want to write off the tariff for when you uh, imported the good itself, or maybe you need to figure out how to get the tax information from the pool as well. So there's lots to dig into here. Uh, but of course, let's start off with a little bit of a bio and brief history about yourself in this space. Uh, how'd you get into Bitcoin and then how'd you get into Bitcoin and taxes? Sure, sure. Um, so my background was largely in traditional finance. Uh, I got my MBA from the University of South Carolina and then spent some time in, in New York uh, working in traditional finance um, and was introduced to Bitcoin early on in 2012, 2013, but more from like a personal investment perspective, uh, wasn't like professionally um, at the time. Um, and then in 2015, I got connected with a guy named Brock Pierce, uh, who was leading a company called Blockchain Capital um, and ended up joining Blockchain Capital in 2015 as an early stage equity analyst. And so I was looking at a lot of like the protocols and, and platforms and companies in the space that were kind of building picks and shovels. Um, and that gave me a really good view on where the market was at the time and what types of infrastructure would be needed for us to grow from, I think, you know, in 2015, like a $200 million asset class to now two and a half trillion. And I think, you know, we both agree that probably hopefully 25 trillion and 250 and so on. So um, that was kind of my first foray into crypto full time as, as an analyst of blockchain capital. Um, and then was able to, uh, to be at the right place in the right time and, and, and raised my own fund in 2016 to raise a $25 million venture fund uh, from some of my own capital. And then uh, Larry King, Stan Barty and Jim Rogers. Um, and that allowed me to have some capital to go out and kind of use some of the skills and, and network that I had learned and acquired at Blockchain Capital to continue investing in early stage companies. Um, and so Zenlander was a company that we were introduced to in early 2017. Um, it was kind of a, a use case that I really understood because I was trying to figure out my own taxes. Uh, I'd been in crypto for about four years personally at the time, about four or five years at the time. And um, I had like, you know, handwritten notes and Google Docs and Excel spreadsheets and trying to pull up like Etherscan or Block Explorers. And I'm sure it wasn't accurate and it definitely wasn't easy. So saw that there is probably immense value, not only for retail, but enterprises that they started to interact with crypto to have kind of a really seamless uh, UI, UX, and just a really great and accurate program. Um, 
So I ended up investing in Zenlender in 2017. Um, and then in 2019, jumped on board as a COO to, to help kind of grow and scale and lead the organization. And I uh, was just looking for an opportunity to get back on the, the building side of the table instead of just the pure investment side. Totally. And I can resonate or like at least feel what you're saying there with like scrapping together transaction histories, like going through Etherscan and be like, did I swap that token or like, did I take a loss on that? And at the end of the year, you're like, oh, wow, like I have a lot of reading to work, work my way through. Uh, so it's nice to have applications like ZenLedger to parse things very simply, just plug it in, play. There you go. Don't have to sit around all weekend really working on your taxes. Tell me about ZenLedger though. What's the history of the firm? There's a lot of different tax solutions out there, but frankly, like I haven't been impressed with a lot of them. And that's what makes ZenLedger so awesome is it is like easy to interact with. It gets the product done. Uh, and so dig into that for me a little bit. What makes ZenLedger different and uh, how would people find your product as well? Yeah, yeah. So it kind of went through a little bit of like the origin, but it was basically just, you know, we saw on the market, there is kind of two really small platforms that, that existed in both didn't really have great teams, both didn't have really great products, both didn't have like any customer service, both had pretty bad pricing, really terrible UX UI and, and pretty bad accuracy. And then when you mix it all together, just not great solutions, right? And so in 2017, we saw that if we could kind of wrap all of those things together in one really great UI, really great UX, really great accuracy, really great customer support, um, that we could probably build a really valuable tool uh, for, for the ecosystem. Um, and so at the time we started to build a bunch of integrations and connections, um, as you know, fast forward to today, I think we support over 500 different exchanges, over 12,000 different tokens, over 60 different blockchains, 50 different DeFi protocols and NFTs. And so one thing that kind of makes us a little bit different from some of our competitors is really, I'd say one being part of the community and actually like investing in crypto. And, and I think that's something that's really set us, uh, as a big advantage. Um, some of the competitors that, that we go up against, are kind of web two individuals that are looking to figure out web three and, and saw that taxes would be a part, but they're not actually using these products. They've never invested in Bitcoin mining operations. They've never invested in DeFi or NFTs. They've never used a MetaMask. They've never like swapped uh, an asset for another, right? And if you don't understand the products that you're building for and the consumers that you're building with, then it's going to be very hard to build a product that they actually enjoy and they actually want. And so a big advantage for us is actually having people at the top of the company that are kind of aping and DJing into all these other assets alongside the customers we're building for, right? And so like our first Uniswap V1 and V2 integrations came from like my own data set and my own account that I gave over to our team to be like, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm swapping, trading, borrowing, you know, bonding, whatever else I'm doing. We need to build this, right? And so we've had, we've been able to really skate where the puck's going by being kind of in tune with the industry and being part of the industry. Um, and, and I think that's been really advantageous for us on the retail side, uh, especially as cryptos transitioned from just Bitcoin only to Bitcoin and ETH and then Bitcoin and ETH to, you know, competing layer ones and layer twos. Um, we've seen the explosion of products and blockchains and L1s, L2s, bridges continue to explode. And, and if you don't have coverage for all those items, you can't really get 100% accurate on that tax report. And the tax report's 95% accurate. It doesn't matter. Because unless it's 100 and correct, it doesn't matter if you're 80 or 60 or 40 because it's an incorrect tax report. So by really expanding that coverage, it's been a big, big win for us. And we've been able to really leverage that against uh, our enterprise side too. And so a lot of the institutions that we're working with, whether it's like a Budweiser or Ralph Lauren, helping them with their NFT drops, 
or working with Compass or working with Block Demon or Figment or other of our enterprise clients, it's been a big challenge for them. They want to interact with crypto. They want to either you know sell their goods or services for crypto. They want to you know connect with their community using Web three products. Um, but they wanted to figure out the accounting and tax side. And so that's been a, a big advantage for us is really the integrations building with and for the community that we actually served uh, to operate with. Um, and, you know, for now, you know, we, we think we're building a pretty good product, but you know, there, there's, there's no finish line for us, right? You know, every time you look up, there's a new token, a new asset, a new blockchain, a new thing, right? And we have to continue to build and, and continue to, to advance the product and advance the services and, as part of my day to day is to make sure we're, you know, we're hiring the right people to, to continue to build around that. So I'm assuming Bitcoin mining taxes is a little bit simpler than the Uniswaps and the L2s and the bonding and all that, right? It's a, it's a little bit more, more straightforward. Um, the, so you see a lot of like unneeded complexity when you think about crypto taxes, but really when you think about it, anything that happens on chain is somewhat easy to track, whether that's Bitcoin coming into on my, an address that you're mining whether that's you providing ETH and liquidity on Uniswap and you're getting paid out in return, anything that really happens on chain is generally easily trackable and traceable. It's just about making sure that you're accurately applying the correct USD tags to it, accurately looking at the holding period, accurately looking at when you receive the asset, what you're doing with it. And, and so I wouldn't say it's necessarily like simpler. It's just a different type of, of dynamic. But as you mentioned, within Bitcoin mining, there's different ways to mine, right? You can be a hobbyist. You can be using Compass or kind of a third-party service. You can run your own organization. You can set up an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp around that and handle it in different ways. So I'd say it's it's simple, but not easy, right? It's just figuring out kind of the variables at play and making sure that you're planning around these types of variables uh, when you're going through the accounting and tax. Yeah, it seems to interact more with like real world things than a lot of like the the Uniswap tokens out there. Like, I actually need to know my depreciation schedule for this machine, or I need to know if I can write off some of the components I purchased to run my mine, uh, as opposed to like, oh, I bought this token, it, it went up X percent. I need to be, make sure I can cover that when I, uh, you know, sell my token or whatnot. Let's get a date or let's dig into it here. Talk about how you're going to get your mining information or your tax mining information. Is it as simple as go to my pool, download my payout history or go to my wallet, look at my payout history and then start calculating capital gains on top of that? But how do you typically go about it when you're looking at mining taxes? Sure, sure. So the first thing when you look at mining is really there's a few different types of taxes, right? And so you can have income tax and then you can have capital gains tax. And typically with mining, the most of the items that you're receiving are going to be treated as income. And so the Bitcoin rewards that you're earning along the way would be income at the time of receipt. So how much Bitcoin did you get, whether it's you know through your own, um, your own service, whether you're using a pool or a third-party provider, how much Bitcoin did you get at what date, at what time, and how much was that worth in USD value? And so you'll typically have mining that comes in. And then as you mentioned, that mining income can turn into capital gains. And so some people are then taking that Bitcoin and, and selling it to cover operational expenses of the facility. Some are then converting that into other assets. Some are converting that back directly into dollars. Um, and so once you acquire the Bitcoin, that will establish a cost basis and a holding period. And then what you do with that Bitcoin moving forward can have different types of um, taxable consequences or events to it. Um, and so in general, you'll have the, the income at the time of receipt from your mining payouts. Um, and then, you know, depending on what you do with those mining payouts can have an impact on the capital gain and or loss when you dispose of that asset, if and when you do so. 
Totally. A follow-up here. One thing that I think has become more prevalent with the application of lending protocols on top of Bitcoin, or at least the growth of like side projects, uh, has been like people taking these mining rewards and just shooting them right over into a lending application so they can get yield on top of that mined income. How would you classify that? Would that be the income from the mining itself and then capital gains because you're almost converting it into USD? Or does it not incur that capital gains tax because it's stayed in BTC. Yeah, it, it similar to DeFi in the sense that it depends on the internal mechanics of what you're doing. And, and so if I am earning Bitcoin mining rewards and I'm sending that Bitcoin into BlockFi, for example, just like a centralized provider that you can earn yield on for your Bitcoin, um, you know, choose your own version, right? Whichever platform you provide, if you're more of a lend uh, type of person or, or whatever, right? Um, you Once you receive the Bitcoin, you have the initial income from that. Moving your Bitcoin between your wallet and another wallet or your wallet and an exchange is generally known as a non-taxable self-transfer as long as they are your own accounts. So I can take my, my Bitcoin mining rewards and I can move them into Coinbase, for example, um, and have no taxable element to that. I'm just... Uh, moving asset A, you know, from A to B. And, and so the actual movement of that asset has no taxable liability. Once you provide that liquidity, it really depends on how that liquidity is being used. And so for some platforms, you may need to wrap or stake or, you know, change the BTC into WBTC or SBTC. Um, and so that can incur a capital gain or loss because you're essentially swapping from Bitcoin into a synthetic version of the asset. If you are just providing Bitcoin and just receiving Bitcoin rewards on top, very similar to just mining, and those rewards are going to be income at the time of receipt. So mining, staking, airdrops, forks are all general forms of income. And so even though we make a big designation on, oh, that was mining income or that was staking income or that was just yield that I'm earning, the IRS doesn't really care about the specifics or the mechanics, just that that is income. And, and so as long as you're just earning that Bitcoin in rewards, you know, whatever your rate is, and then you're taking that Bitcoin and putting it back into a ledger, a treasure, a jacks, keep you, whatever wallet of your choice, you're really going to have no taxable event on the in or the out. But then just the interest that you're earning along in the way, that'll be taxed as ordinary income, similar to the initial Bitcoin mining rewards that you're getting paid out. So income taxes and capital gains are the things for people to watch out is what I'm hearing. Pretty much. Yeah, those are like the two main buckets, right? And then obviously there's a million different things that fall into each bucket or like different decision trees, right? But in general, the, the two big items that you'll have within crypto taxes would be income and then capital gains or capital losses. Awesome. So I want to stick with the asset for now, Bitcoin asset, and then we'll move on to like facilities and ASICs and stuff like that throughout the conversation. But while we're talking about Bitcoin the asset, and, and apologies, this might be a slightly unfair question, but Bitcoin, the asset, it's, it's, there's this KYC thing around it. And a lot of people are now mining Bitcoin because they want non-KYC sats. How does that work when tax day comes due? If I buy an ASIC and I'm mining at home, IRS maybe doesn't know about it because I bought it with cash, but you still want to pay that tax obligation. How do you go about paying that obligation without maybe doxing yourself? Is there ways of putting on a book somehow. So you're saying it's an asset that you own and you just have to pay for it, but not identifying it as an ASIC. Uh, maybe there's other ways you can do it. I'd lo love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure, sure. So one of the, the nice features about Zenlender is you can use a custom CSV and or a manual entry. And so for the vast majority of our users, they're likely just going to import their Bitcoin address or XBUB key and we'll facilitate whatever happened on chain and bring that all in kind of natively and easily for you. But we do have some users 
um, that you know are more privacy focused and they don't want to be exposing an XPUB. They don't want to be exposing even a non-XPUB public key. Um, and so for that, you can just import the um, transactions manually. So I could say, you know, I don't even know what today is, March 22nd, that I earned one Bitcoin, hypothetically, right? And Bitcoin's at 50K. Um, and so I could say that on March 22nd, I am, you know, claiming that I'm earning 50K worth of income. And so I don't have to specify that it was into this wallet or into that address or into this account. As long as I'm kind of focusing on that, um, that's kind of the, the, the main criteria. And so there's ways to get that information and the transaction history into attack software without actually having to import the address itself. It just obviously is going to take a little bit more time and manual input than it would if you just import, you know, just the address directly, because then we can just crawl the blockchain and, and, and look at what actually happened in the address. So there's definitely a ways around, uh, around that. Um, that's the same if you're like using like, you know, any type of, um, of like Mixer, CoinJoin, or Wasabi, or Tornado, or you know, uh, like Bisc Network, or whatever, like anything peer to peer, anything like non KYC, it's going to be the same. There's no like difference in taxable treatment if it's KYC or not, right? Most of the individuals, if you want to file, there's going to be an easy way for you to do so, and if you don't. Obviously, we're not going to recommend it, but you're not going to be using Zenlender anyways, right? You're not going to be entering your information if you're not looking to file. And and so we try to focus on the ones that are and try to make that experience really easy for them. Yeah, it's a bit unfair to ask you guys to beat down the doors and, and find those coins. Um, moving right along, though, I want to talk about deductions and how someone should set up this whole system. Because when I'm looking at it and like I'm a home miner and I also mine with Compass, so a hosted solution, I, I could set up an LLC. I mean, I only have a few miners though, so maybe I'm still a hobbyist. How do you go about making a decision which bucket you fall into for those things and then deciding what deductions to take after that? Yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get the the, the nice disclaimers at the start of the episode, right? Um, but in general, always want to consult with a tax professional, tax attorney, nothing you hear is tax advice, all that fun stuff, right? And so that's a high level legal disclaimer, but in reality, it's like practical advice. And so for each individual, you can have a wildly different scenario. You could have four machines, you could have 40, you could have 400. You could be mining $10 worth every month or $10 million worth every month, right? And so for each individual, you may need to consult to just get a better understanding of what is the best path forward for you. In general, as an individual, typically you're going to be looking at mining income as a hobby. And as a hobby, you are unable to deduct a lot of the business expenses that you would think you could from an actual business account. So some of the uh, depreciation, some of the external mining costs, some of the tariffs that we talked about earlier, most of those things cannot be used as a, an individual hobbyist because you are using this as hobby income and not as a profession. Um, and so given the uniqueness of your scenario, you know, you may want to actually set up an entity to conduct the business through. And so that entity formation can be a very important decision and definitely something that you should probably look into. For entities, that opens you up to a world where you can actually deduct some of these expenses, deduct the depreciation, and really handle it in more of a business-like manner than just a hobbyist manner. And so I don't know if there's like a necessary like threshold where it's like, if you have one machine, don't do it. If you have two, do it, right? I think in general, it typically makes sense. And this is for mining or if you're taking your Bitcoin and then trading it or selling it. Having things run through an LLC or S Corp or C Corp um, is, is probably going to give you more ability to deduct expenses and to 
reasonably have tax deductions than as an individual hobbyist. And so in a very long-winded answer to your question, it, it really just depends on, on your unique situation. But you can't really, there's no harm in going through an LLC or S Corp or a C Corp, even if it's just you as an individual. Um, it just it takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of upfront cost. You'll need to pay to you know, formulate the entity and, and things like that. But um, in general, we would probably recommend going more of the, the business and entity route. Um, the one thing to be aware of is depending on the entity, you can have quarterly payments instead of annual payments as you would as a hobbyist. And so if I create an entity and I'm running this through an entity, I'm likely going to have to meet different standards than as an individual. And so once again, few different variables in play. And I would definitely recommend ensuring that you consult a tax professional or a tax attorney um, to kind of understand which option works best for you. Totally. Yes, I echo you there. Uh, I'm not a tax professional by no means. Um, my best friend is a CPA, so he can he can vouch for that. Uh, staying with the same line of conversation, there's been a lot of conversations about this Wyoming tax LLC setup you can do. What's your take on these different state regulations around taxing uh, cryptocurrency as it moves into like state coffers? And are you a fan of any of the specific state setups we've seen to date? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely really interesting to pay attention to. <clears throat> I think I saw an article today, uh, we're recording on March 22nd, but I, I saw an article today about Florida that may be accepting uh, Bitcoin for tax payments. So you could actually pay your tax liability in crypto. And so I think a lot of these states are trying to get ahead on crypto, right? And so for non-crypto entities, Delaware has basically had like a stranglehold on entity formation. Almost every company, 99.9% you know, of companies in the US are Delaware C Corp uh, or LLC. Um, and, and so I think it's advantageous for these states, especially ones that want to earn crypto business, to have friendlier, friendlier ways of enticing individuals and business owners to operate in that state. And so this is nothing new, right? We, we've seen Texas that doesn't have certain taxes. We've seen Florida that doesn't have certain taxes. We've seen Delaware that doesn't have. So I think these states are becoming more and more aware that there is billions and billions and hopefully soon trillions and trillions of dollars flowing around this industry. And they want to understand how to get kind of their share. Um, and so for the states that are more up to speed, we'll see a lot of commitment, not only human capital, physical capital, but relocation to these states. Um, and I think that's a net positive, right? We want the states to compete against themselves to give us better platforms, better use cases, better agreements, better tax plans, better treatments, right? And so as these states start to compete against themselves, we as individuals and business owners get to choose what state we want to operate with. And so I think it's a net positive for the for the industry and the ecosystem. Um, I think it's still really, really, really early on, right? Um, the Wyoming charter is still relatively new. We've seen a few companies and a few products and, and, pr and protocols go through that, but it's not fully baked out, right? There's still some learnings. There's still some understandings. There's still potentially some changes to, okay, we, we you know, in the first year and a half, we've learned X, let's try to like apply X and make sure that it's better. And, and so I'm, I guess in general, I'm a fan of it, right? I think the more people compete, the better products and services get provided, even if it's from a government perspective. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll look up and, and it won't just be Florida and Wyoming. We'll have, you know, Ohio and, and, you know, uh, Nevada and, you know, all these other states that are going to be kind of competing to earn our business, just like we're now starting to see on like a national stage. You know, you see like um, Argentina and you look at Puerto Rico and you look at these other, you know, jurisdictions that are kind of competing on a global stage 
for crypto business and for crypto, um, uh, you know, entities, right? So I think net net is probably a positive, but still early on in kind of figuring out where all these variables fall. Totally. Thanks for the brief aside there. Interesting to get your perspective. Moving over to ASICs themselves and when you're purchasing these things, how does a tax authority think about them? Because it is like a very interesting concept, right? It's like a little box I plug into a wall and it prints me money. It's an asset. It's almost like a rental property in a sense. It's a, we often hear that as like a sales pitch, but there's a lot of commonalities between it. And then it just prints Bitcoin, you liquidate it for dollars. How, do, how does a tax authority think about these things currently? And then what is like a depreciation schedule that is most beneficial for ASICs at this point, given that ASICs have different histories around them. Some of them make it five years. Most of them make it around three years. There's different models of ASICs that do better than others. Uh, lots of information, lots of questions there, but I'll kick it over to you. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you, you set up the question perfectly, right? And my answer kind of revolves around a lot of those details. Are you a hobbyist? Are you an entity? And that can make a big difference as we've kind of discussed. What assets or, you know, what uh, ASICs are you buying, right? Certain brands last longer, certain brands don't. Certain, you know, requirement takes longer upkeep and, and longer labor costs to get your facilities up and running or the day-to-day maintenance, right? And, and so there's a lot of different variables that come into play there. Um, in general, you know, the, the nice thing is that you can depreciate the assets from an entity perspective. And typically what we've seen is on average, probably like a three to four year schedule is typically like appropriate. We've seen some where they're kind of amortizing across seven years and depending on the ASIC and the technology stack, like, you know, the, the machine may be broken in two years or three years. Right. And, and so it kind of really depends on what machines that you're using. Um, as we've seen with like the hosting side of things, that can create a, a few other variables at play, right? Do I fully own the machine? Am I just licensing it out through just hosting agreements? Am I do I not really own the machine, but am I renting it from the hosting provider? Um, and can I deduct that if I don't own the machine? And and so not to like skate the question, but it's just like there's so many different things that kind of go into play here, um, and. And figuring out kind of those variables is going to get you in a much better position where we can like sit down and be like, okay, given X, Y, and Z, here's how we would treat that or here's how we approach it. Um, but the, the main distinction is that through an entity, if you go that route, you do have the ability to amortize and to deduct those business expenses, not only from the, upco- the upfront purchase of the machinery, but also the duration of that machinery. So the, you know, the um, facility that you're putting it in, the electric costs that go into that, the maintenance costs that goes into that. Well, you know, in your facility, are you cooling? Are you using air? Are you using hydro? Are you using solar? Like, there are just so many different decisions that could go into setting up a facility. Um, and we've seen, you know, we've worked with providers of all shapes and sizes, right? So I'm in like Canada that are like, you know, that exist in purely cold temperatures. We work with some that are in like California or in like Nevada that are like, we're solar powered or like, you know, uh, um, or, or like wind or, or, or geothermal. Um, and so long story short, it kind of just depends on some of those variables uh, at play. But typically, as long as you're an entity, you can use some of those variables to your advantage. Okay, so just to clarify and, and summarize what you're saying, if you form an LLC of some sort, then you have some more flexibility over how to set up your own tax system. You don't have to uh, make it so cut and dry as being a hobbyist where you would just say, I have this ASIC at this depreciation schedule and that's what I have to send in. 
Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the hobby is generally more of like a generalist bucket and me being a hobbyist versus you being a hobbyist is going to be treated the same. But under the entity side, you can have different entities and because of the entity formation itself can have different reporting requirements and different ways that you can use those requirements uh, to your advantage. So in general, the entity is going to give you more ability to use some of these deductions to your advantage. Um, but it can depend, you know, on uh, how you treat an LLC versus a C-Corp versus an S-Corp versus um, a Wyoming charter is like completely different. So it's not as bucketed as just like entity because the entity can have different shapes and sizes to it and different re- reporting requirements. Totally. So let's go for an example here. Let's just do a, like a standard ASIC from Compass. Let's say like we can even use me as an example, actually. It might be a, a pretty good test study for this. So I bought sure. one ASIC last June and I'm hosting it in Quebec, uh, in Canada. It's been running online, not having any issues, just printing me Bitcoin. I haven't sold any to date and I have not set up an LLC. How would I go through my tax situation for essentially what I've laid out? For you, given those variables in play, typically you're just going to have income and that's going to be taxed as like an ordinary income tax rate. And so whatever your ordinary income tax rate is outside of just crypto would be applied towards that. And so in general, for individuals, you typically see anywhere between like 15 and 40%-ish on the ordinary income tax rate. And so let's say you earned throughout the year, I don't know, it's like an even number, right? 10 grand. And your income tax rate is 25%. You would owe 2,500 on the 10 grand that you earned through your Bitcoin mining operation. Um, And so that one's a little bit more like cut and dry and easy um, to kind of handle. So that's like the nice part about the Bitcoin mining uh, in general is that if you're a hobbyist, the IRS is just going to treat that as ordinary income at the time of receipt. And so the the easy part from the software perspective is we can, you know, if you enter in address, you know, um, one, two, three, you know, we can say, okay, on these dates, on these schedules, this person was awarded X, Y, and Z. This 0.002534, whatever Bitcoin was worth 2,500, 2,200, 2,600. And because you haven't used that to fund operations or you haven't swapped that for another asset, um, there's no capital gain on that yet. Um, and so for you, it's pretty straightforward that you would just have income at the time of receipt, depending on how much you've earned throughout the year. Awesome. I love to hear that. Let's talk about Canada and what it means for like international taxes. So do I have to pay U.S. taxes based on the machine or do I owe money to Canada? Do I owe money to another country if my machine is, say, I have a machine in Kazakhstan or I have a machine in Chile? Do I owe money to their tax authorities uh, how do I determine that as well? That'd be some pretty important information as we see mining is all over the place these days. Yeah. Yeah. The, the hard part is that we don't have any like clear guidance from the IRS that says, you know, if this happens and this is how it's treated in general, it kind of depends on how the hosting is set up. Um, and I haven't reviewed like the contract directly from like a compass specific um, uh, standpoint. So I'm not sure if compass is like as the entity itself is kind of on the hook for, paying taxes where it operates its facilities um, or if that's get passed on to the user i would imagine probably compass would have some sort of liability for that operational expense in the country and then would probably have a, a way to kind of amortize that across their consumers and so what once again definitely consult a tax professional tax attorney um, but I, I would imagine that you are likely just gonna have income tax due to the to the us and so you are not a citizen of 
of Canada. Um, maybe you are, but in this scenario, you're not, right? And so you don't owe like Canadian income tax or Canadian capital gains. You would pay that in the U.S. And the distinction is actually very valuable because if you are a U.S. individual living in Europe, hosting a facility in Quebec, you still owe income tax in the U.S. because you're a U.S. citizen. So the weird part is that the U.S. kind of has this like global purview on its own citizens. So even if I'm a U.S. citizen living abroad, I still owe U.S. tax. Um, and so in that scenario, I would imagine that Compass probably is picking up some of the operational expenses in the jurisdictions that it's operating in. Um, and, and I'm not sure if that gets passed along to the consumer in, like your, in, in the operating agreement or anything. Totally. And as we start to wrap up here, I want to get uh, one more question about Zen Ledger itself. When we're thinking about Zen Ledger and, and these tax solutions for crypto, how do they integrate into the products most people are familiar with? Like thinking of the, the turbo taxes of the world, do I purchase one and then just bring all the documentation into TurboTax? Are they two separate things? Can I even use Zen Ledger and then just fill out uh, tax forms with you know paper and ink and then send it in the mail? Uh, how do you typically do it yourself. Sure. Yeah. So on the Zenlander side, we have kind of three main cohorts of customer. And the first cohort would be more of like a self-service client. And so we have integrations and partnerships with TurboTax, Tax Act, H&R Block. And so, you know, you can import your Bitcoin addresses. We can see the income. We can then see if you sold your Bitcoin or traded in for another asset. So the, the first thing that you do within Zenlander is, is sign up for an account and then start to in, in, integrate all of your platforms. So uh, you know, I've used, I'm mining Bitcoin. I'm also trading a little bit on FTX or whatever. So I'm going to, I'm going to start by importing all of my sources, wallets and centralized accounts. And then we'll aggregate all that activity across each year that you have uh, taxable income or taxable gains in and provide these really nice completed tax reports on the back end. And so going back to that first cohort for those kind of self-service clients within TurboTax or H&R Block or Tax Act, you'll see a question that pops up. Have you ever bought, sold, traded, or acquired virtual currency? And then if you select yes, Zenlender pops up and you just click on the Zenlender icon and then you just drag and drop the reports that we provide directly into the, the, the uh, accounting platform. The second cohort of users that we have are individuals that actually have their own CPA or that have their own tax accountant. And so we built this tax professional suite for CPAs to use. We have about like 4,800 tax professional firms, including Deloitte, KPMG, and EY that use our software to kind of power their crypto practice. And so if you have a tax professional that you use, you can go into your Zenlinger account click on tax pro, invite them into your account. And they can either help you with importing and reconciliation, or they can just simply log in and download or print off your tax reports and file them, you know, attached with your W-2 or your K-1 or your 1099 or what else you have going on. Then the third cohort of users that we have um, is individuals that are looking for a tax pro or a tax attorney to handle and help them with this process. And so we have a team of tax professionals and tax attorneys on staff that you can hire to actually help you with all of your crypto and non-crypto taxes. And so if you're more in that like third, uh, you know, uh, cohort and you're like, you know, I want somebody to do this for me. I want a tax pro to sign off that it's all accurate. I want one person to do all of my crypto, non-crypto. We have that option for you as well. So we like to kind of provide options for our clients and, you know, depending on your situation and your income levels and capital gains levels, um, you know, you may be more that self-service platform or you may have a tax bill or you may be looking for one. And so we want to give you kind of a few different options depending on, on your situation. Awesome. Anything we missed you think we should talk to the audience about? Um, not much. I mean, I think we covered a lot of it. Uh, I think that the main items to be aware of is, is obviously the hobbyist first entity is going to have a big impact on how things are treated. 
Um, the other item is that your mining, your Bitcoin mining rewards are going to be taxed as income at the time of receipt either way. And so you need to be able to account for that. And then you need to be able to account for those assets moving forward. And so we've seen a variety of ways where people are, are you know, mining Bitcoin and selling the Bitcoin back into dollars to cover operational expenses, or they're taking Bitcoin and swapping it in for another asset. And so keeping track of what happens with your Bitcoin that you mine is definitely really important. Not only what you do, but the holding period, short-term, long-term capital gains, et cetera. Um, so we covered that. You know, I think we covered some of like the privacy concerns of, you know, if you don't want to import an address or an XPUB and you just want to import things manual, you can do that within the platform. We don't ask you for any type of PII information at all. So you can sign up for a Zenlinger account. You're not entering your first name, your last name, your social security number, your taxpayer identification number. You're not entering any of that, right? And so the nice thing is that you can use our platform kind of anonymously and, and just take the exports and then file them yourself or through a tax pro. Um, so, you know, definitely something that, that I don't know if we really touched on, but from like a PII or data security perspective, wanted to touch on. And then I guess the last thing is really just probably customer support and customer service. It's something that's really important to us. And especially when you look at finances, taxes, money, right? You want to be able to like call someone or email someone or chat with someone and be like, hey, am I doing this right? Uh, are these the right forms? I need to invite my accountant. How do I do so? I want to hire one of yours. Can you help? And so we have a full some customer support team standing by 12 hours a day, seven days a week via email, phone, and chat. And so if you have questions, comments, concerns, you know, you can always give us a call. And I guess the very last thing is that our platform is free to sign up with. Um, and so you can sign up for an account for free, import your information, kind of get a high level view of where you are. And then you're only paying for the detailed reports on the back end. And so if you're like, well, that sounds like a good platform. And like, it sounds good. I want to give it a shot. Like you can try us, see how it works for you. And if you're you know, satisfied and happy, we'd love to you know, have the opportunity to earn your business. Awesome. I think we can leave the conversation there. Dan, I want to thank you so much for your time and be sure to look out on compassmining.io slash learn for a few of these uh, articles and little helpers for uh, filing your mining taxes. Thanks again, Dan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.